this is Dark Days Radio with our annual Dragon Meat. Not a coffee bar this time, we're in some we're in corner the in the reception. Oh, yeah. Lounge. Mm. Oh, we've, all a, we've all got a different word. Um, stylish. And I'm joined by David Brookshaw, I'm joined by Chris Allen, Matthew Dawkins, and Clara. And I don't want to ruin your last name because I always get scared I'm going to mispronounce it. Why? Herbal? Yeah, good job. Uh, <laughs> my time in Germany has paid off that I understand how to uh, get my O's and E's to sound the right way. Um, and we're going to cover anything that's horror out of Onyx Path, White Wolf, or anything else you want to plug, because, you know, it's Dragon Meat, and we just talk crap on these episodes. Yeah, well, that's a good selling point. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Mummy's right now finishing up, and if you want to listen to something about Mummy, Chig, Mike, and Chris will be talking about that. So, We'll leave that to one side because the Kickstarter will be done and over by this. So, what else do you want to talk about? Like, Deviant had its Kickstarter and did rather well. Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, so, Deviant the Renegade, by the time this goes out, you should, the Kickstarter's long gone, but um, with the miracle of modern technology, uh, you can still buy it before it comes out by going on to Packet. Yep. Yeah. Um, Matthew, can they get the previews if they go on Packet? So, uh, there's no automated function on Backerkit to get you access to the manuscript, but if you want access to the manuscript, you should just be able to use the contact button uh, through Backerkit, and James, who runs our Kickstarters, should be able to provide it. I don't know of any reason why that would be the yeah, case. I'm yeah. fairly certain that's how it's worked on previous Kickstarters. I know that um, the, um, uh, the Kickstarter-funded supplement for the game um, is now massive, yeah, because the <laughs> was a runaway, and uh, my successor is uh, staring at the big pile of cash and the big pile of word count and trying to turn it into an outline. <laughs> so, so what's the what would you say is out? Because I mean, you 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 smashed through a number of stretch goals. What do you think is the most other than the core brand new prototype game? What's like the most exciting? of the stretch goals, would you say, that, that you're like, I can't wait to put some words to this? Uh, <laughs> or is this uh, too hard a question? It's all of them, obviously. I've, I've got an answer if you yeah. Oh, you're going to, yeah, go So, on. this is a bit contentious, but it's actually, because this is the kind of thing, you know, I know we've been a bit softly, softly about, but it's the section about doing crossover. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, because, ironically, since I've, since it came out, since the management came out and people got the grips with them, I had loads of people going through, Chris, this thing from Well for Forsaken would work fantastically well as an idea for a conspiracy and deviant, wouldn't it? What happens if people try jamming this bit of this horrible monster from the antagonist sections into people? I'm like, yeah, that's actually a really good idea, isn't it? And when I was designing the game, like looking at the word limit that Rich gave me, uh, I knew that we wouldn't be able to do anything like um, this deviant is powered by Vitae, mm. or this deviant, mm. or this is one of the many, 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 many types of deviants that I presume are made by the Sears of the Throne in their ever-increasing quest uh, to fuck people up by yeah, yeah. jamming yeah. random supernatural things into people. Um, so, uh, uh, when I designed like, the, the, the skeleton of Deviant, I made sure that there was a lot of sections saying, like, um, crossover expansion goes here. <laughs> like, um, uh, Eric, in order, to, in order to do this, all you have to do is figure out a Vitae-powered form yeah. um, for the game. So, um, uh, if we get any, if we get enough funding in the Kickstarter, you should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have to actually do it. 
So <laughs> just saying Sears of Rome creating deviance, it just makes them even to even they're just more arch bastards than they were before now. Well they they've got a long the Sears have a long standing tradition of taking normal people and turning them into tragic monsters. Yes. Cool. So that the uh, pets will have somebody to kill and feel guilty about. Ah, that's that's kind of neat. And kind of like the Ben in Black hit marks from mid to the century. I guess Deviant's got a lot of scope for interfacing with Contagion Chronicles. Oh yeah, yeah, Uh, definitely because of the conspiratorial nature of the factions in Contagion Chronicle. Uh, they all feel slightly ministerial, yeah. uh, so that works from the I guess bureaucratic horror of yeah. Deviant. The fact that there's so much in the background, you'll go uh, to uh, reference World of Darkness. I guess in a Pentex kind of way, you've got to cut through an awful lot of low-level and middlemen who really don't know what the hell they're doing before you get to the really bad people. So as Dave points out, you end up facing a lot of tragic enemies because they aren't choosing to be put in these bodies they're not choosing to fight you that's just how they've been programmed or engineered or what have you or it's just their job mm. and yeah and i did read um subsidiaries and uh, of course freak legion ah uh, classic when I, when classic freak legion like do not do savage bits i played a game of freak yeah. legion that was a very very inebriated game session where we didn't have our regular GM and so we just went let's make characters in literally 10 minutes and see what happens oh, but could Deviant therefore be a nice way of actually doing Demon Hunter X where you go let's let, let's be less weebish yeah it sounds like it oh we can listen to our episode where we review Demon Hunter X and come to the conclusion how was this evil in the world of darkness? Well, there's a lot of books that could fall in that category. <laughs> Let's move on. 14 when they that. Anyway, um, so Chris, yes. what are you being? You penny more stuff for Werewolf? Um, so, Shun by the Moon came out earlier this year, and I think we're really happy with how it's done. It, it has done seen. very well, yeah. Um, especially for like a Night Horrors book, which is a bit like a monster manual, but yeah. I think it's for a variety of reasons it's going down really well. I always got my eye on more stuff in the future, but you know we'll see how it goes. There's there's a lot of things coming out that I've worked on, like Dark Heroes Two will come out soon. You know, it is it's in the pipeline, and I'm really glad to see that getting put in and you know, getting people's hands. There's um, uh, various Kickstarter games, but the thing I'm developing at the moment is Victorian Mage for Mage of the Century Twentieth Edition, um, which is a big tome, a big old book for running the century in the Victorian era, not just in Victorian Britain, but from a sort of more global look at the era, at imperialism, and at the events sort of going on across the globe, both in terms of mundane sleep society and obviously what's going on for mages of the traditions and the, the technocracy or the order of reason as was. Um, I'm quite excited about seeing that sort of progressing further as well. Uh, it's in its second drafts now, um, and uh, it should give people quite an interesting um, alternate take on the playing village. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's a lot of things changed in the setting, not only because it's a different point in the timeline, and therefore anything could change drastically after it, but you know, um, there, there's a lot of interesting bits and pieces in there. And I think that was the result of, uh, of the 
since this is the 20th anniversary. You started doing really well. Uh, no, that, I know. I don't. It is not a stretch goal no, for May 20th. It has been a twinkle in various people's eyes. Yes, it yes, has, and it has like, jumped from yeah. eye to eye of multiple yes. developers. It's been quite, yeah, the creation has um, been quite collaboration, and now it's just getting uh, something looking forward to getting out there. So that's that's very much a work in progress. And so, like it's the, uh, did we actually? Was there a it wasn't Mage Ascension Victorian Age. Nope, problem, this is it? the very first Victorian Age Mage book. Because oh, yeah, it had Sorcerer's had... Crusade. Yes. And, uh, of course, um, Dark Ages Mage as well. And we had a Victorian Age Vampire. Vampire. Well, that's yeah. it. There were no other Victorian yeah. Age uh, World of Darkness games. Well, it gets talked about because it's when the other region changes the potential. Yeah. So yeah. It gets talked about constantly in the game it'll be, the I think it'll be interesting in the context of Mage and with the Order of Reason to really... You know, talk about the Victorian period without some rose-tinted lenses. That's very much saying we're going for, yeah, is, is the, the realistic approach of looking at imperialism in the era yeah. and what that really means if you are a mage on the other side of the, uh, the boundary of, the, you know, of imperialism. What happens if you're a mage in one of the countries that is being invaded and could taken over? It's not a game about playing wizard in a waistcoat. You can obviously play it in high Victoriana style if you want, but we're taking a much more in some ways, grounded look at the wider world. Um, and the implications of what's going on, especially in a setting like Ascension, which has so much stuff about belief, yeah. uh, and paradigm, and, and what that means when you know a lot of the major belief systems of the time are, sub to our almost quite horrific. Yeah, um, what it means to be part of the Order of Reason, backing this outflow of imperialism. You know, what are they telling themselves this is about? How are they justifying it? How are the other major interests dealing with it? That's really, really cool. That's going to be a really great book for any other game as well. It sounds like as a, a, an up-to-date look at that time period rather than a book written maybe 10 oh, years yeah. ago. So. Well, I think that's um, to just jump over to Mummy for a second. Um, what we've managed to do with Mummy with its time-jumping, yes. Quantum Leap-style gameplay is really open up the dark eras yeah. a little yes. more. It makes what people who have been giving feedback on the Kickstarter, which there have been many, and a lot of the feedback has been fantastic, very helpful, uh, but a lot of the positive feedback has been about how it's making them reappraise the two dark eras books that are currently out and the upcoming one, because now they have a reason to explore those settings just purely as settings. Yeah. They don't, or they can look at the werewolves or the skin dancers or whatever, in this area as, as as flavor as antagonists but all of a sudden now you've got all these historic settings and mummy can just be inserted in there yeah, as yeah. part of mummy's setting so it, like vampire ancient mysteries is also a really good book yeah, for that yeah yeah that's a that's a good a lot, yeah a lot of the historical because there's a lot of history stuff scattered across all the lines from the darkness and obviously it's condensed in dark years but you do see it in the books and suddenly they always change from being settings where you have to go well I'm going to run a whole game of setting with mummy they can be a one shot yeah, and this arc, you are over here. You're in Revolutionary France, and this arc, you know, it's the great, it's the Great War Western Front. So that's just, I was just like about to um, dive into because I picked up the cult tarot card deck. So I was about to read the tarot, taroticum, and the taroticum, taroticum, and how that obviously has got two different time periods. And I was just like thinking that kind of story where you're playing characters bridging those time periods, but of course with the mummy's non-linear experience of it. That's if you've got other players playing bits of the cult at these different time periods. Yeah, they're experiencing linear time versus this person that's experiencing it in a non-linear way. 
Now we that's have, weird. We fun. haven't ruled out the idea, and in fact, it's teased in the book that you can take your cults along with you. This is something we would look to explore in a further book, because mummies, as we know, pharaohs in the past have always been very keen on entombing their favoured servants with them, oh, nice. the lucky bastards that they are. So, if there is a way of dragging souls with you or um, dragging occultists in some form or other, the 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 thread that kind of needs to be looped, as it were, is how they come back. Because you can't just make bodies appear no. out of thin air. So it's how you make a mortal cultist somehow make sense. That's a bit. Yeah, the Very Assassin's Creed style, like going boom, down your bloodline. Yeah. This is my tomb. You, you have things about it in, like, uh, if somebody destroys the, the physical body that the Sargon manifests around them, um, like, say, in the 1400s, but we can still turn up in the 1500s, it's just that they possess the body of one of their cultists. Yeah, yeah. And causes the mummy in a horrific fashion. So it could be like um, the movie comes along and like um, he brings twenty quantum leapers with him. <laughs> yeah, like all of the high cultists suddenly start speaking a different language. <laughs> <laughs> so you can put it into a dark era's uh, concept too. Like uh, I wrote about witch hunting um, and how a mummy potentially could be seen as a witch or something that is magical yes. or something that is against the church. Um, so if you as a mommy could actually get a position in the church with your cult, you Ooh. could be quite powerful in the medieval town or medieval city. Ooh. Oh wow, there's so many sto- so much story potential. Yeah. I've not actually, this is the unfortunate thing, both Deviant and Mummy have not had time to read the, the things. I'm just back because obviously of what I've known from literally, how long have we been talking about Mummy on this on these episodes. Well, we these books it. take time. They take time. Anyone around this table will tell you. They take time. They do. <laughs> um, so we don't have non-linear time. Cool. Okay, so, Clara, we've got Fall of London is on the horizon. Yeah. And we covered that, we talked about quite a bit of that at UK Games Expo. So what other things would you like to talk about, whether it's V5 Vampire or Chronicles of Darkness or whatever you feel like you go... This is interesting, and I'm most excited about it. It's going to come out fairly soon, or whatever you're allowed to say, obviously. Well, we sent a red line. No, not a red line, but an outline. No, you can't mention that. It's no, not no. announced yet. <laughs> Looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not on. I'm not working currently on many V5 projects. Yeah. Oh, what about Let the Streets Run Red? Well, yeah. Um, so Let the Streets Run Red, I wrote a Chronicles one. Which I'm very, very excited about because I have a tendency to when when I write V five chronicles, they have to be the horror has to be based in humanism, in, yeah. in human nature. So essentially I my chronicle, without spoiling too much, is actually taking place in something that is very familiar to a lot of people and it's a it's family home. Ah, okay. Um, and that sounds pretty outlandish when it comes to vampire. You don't exactly feel like you know, a vampire scenario can take place in, in an entire home, of, home almost exclusively, but it can't. Uh, and that is because the, well, the antagonist is actually, um, he's human in a way, uh, to an extent. Okay. So I, li- I always like toying around with uh, humans as antagonists in, in vampire, and especially yep. in V5, where, yeah, again, where, you know, the, your human side is such a big theme. Um, and how can a human possibly be dangerous to a vampire? 
and it can in many many ways and that's what i'm trying to show through my little street from right cool yeah uh, that's definitely i think come through a lot with v5 is that humans feel scary again with yeah. v- vtm not just second yeah. inquisition but generally because there's been a realignment how powerful vampires are. Yeah, obviously there's, um, well, there's obvious bleed between Requiem and Masquerade uh, for 5th edition. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, well, at this point it's, it's again, obvious that when we were designing V5, there were elements of Requiem that we saw and said, the this game does it better. Yeah. It does it better for the kind of mood we want Vampire the Masquerade to have in its 5th edition. So, certain elements were pulled across, but one thing Requiem doesn't ever really focus on is humans as antagonists. Mm. It's interesting because it really sets it up to have humans as your chinks in the armor, uh, but it never really turns it around um, unless you start incorporating Hunter. Yeah. And so, V5 has that all kind of rolled into one game. And yeah, this uh, the Chronicle Clara wrote for Let the Streets Run is a particularly. Well, horrific. It's rather hard hitting. There's only one uh, SPC vampire in it. Mm. Aside, you know, you've got your player characters. There's a vampire. Everyone else you interact with is mortal, and that shouldn't be revolutionary. But when you take that and compare it to V20, revised edition, and even second edition, it's so exclusively everyone you speak to is a vampire. The only people. Yeah. Any society you interact with is Vampire Society in those editions. So, Clara's Chronicle and Steffi's Chronicle mm. both really get to the mortal yeah. side of things. And if humans do, they do interact with humans, they are your pawns, they are someone you use, they're just in the way, they're food. It's not someone you see as a threat. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting take on Vampire. And I think V5 allows that. Uh, and it's not only the external humanism, it's also the internal humanism of the vampire, like the battle of the beast, that's such a big theme of V5. And, and if you give a human the knowledge of the masquerade and the knowledge of how to provoke that beast, the humans can become quite dangerous vampires, yeah. but most humans don't know. Ooh. Right, Matthew, what do you feel you want to chat about that you because obviously you, you clearly go oh we can't talk about that but there must oh, be something you want to talk about yeah I'm sure there's stuff we can talk about yeah. um, so let's think obviously they came from beneath the sea yes uh, they came from beneath the sea it's currently improving uh, thank god it's uh, <laughs> no it's looking beautiful I'm really happy with that and it's it's very strange for me because this is the first game I've seen all the way from concept through to near delivery and being able to it's one thing when you're a writer and you see how an artist translates your written work into an illustration. That's always yeah. one of the most fantastic things when you first start getting into writing role-playing games, is when you see an artist in vision, and you either go, what? Or you go, wow, hopefully the latter. Uh, where they came from, it's seeing an entire role-playing game created based off of an idea that I came up with. Um, yeah, because it's, it's not just about... The art notes to get pictures. It's also about the layout, format, yeah. font choice, all those things that create. Oh yeah, a and Mike, full Mike Cheney, our art director. Uh, well, Mike and Rich, because uh, Rich, although everyone sees him as the boss, is still the creative director. So Mike and Rich spend a lot of time talking about layout of books, art styles, the artists you want to hire, and they never get enough credit for layout. And layout Rich is, is uh, rich, like. If you like, look at almost every 
simpler set yep. for, any, yeah. the game, for any Bonnings Pats games. Um, but Rich designs, Rich is really good and has a I mean, did, like design what a fan logo yeah. like. Yeah, so, so I think I heard the story, and I may have got this slightly wrong, that the way Rich designed the Werewolf the Apocalypse logo was by getting Sharpies between his fingers, yeah. and he just went around the warehouse yeah. making different symbols, and that was get ephemeris. That's I mean, layout layout is a is a beast. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a it's so I think it's why because all of the Chronicles Darkness games have such a good feel to what the book should look, making Storyteller Vault products to fit with those feels, I mean it's effort learning in design, but also you're like, when you get it to that point where it's almost indistinguishable, you're like oh great, but it could only look like that if it was a design yeah, where it's been done and that's, that's been really fun in all of this uh, I, I've had copies of Scion for ages because in the while Otto Tuff working on Scion and Trinity at the same time, I was working on Scion, so I've had my hardback copies of Scion for a while. Um, last week we saw a copy of Trinity yeah. and, uh, and of Aeon in the flesh for the first time. They look really good. Yeah, they, look, they are stunning. Better than. I, I don't mind saying, actually, I've always had a bit of a. Uh, apprehension about Trinity because one of my big things is I find it very difficult to understand or get into a game that, and it's really simple, where the cover doesn't tell me what it is. And I know it's yeah. silly, but if a title doesn't tell me what the game is about, I just think, eh. I, I want to feel excited just by looking at it. And maybe that's a simplistic view, but when there's a lot of games in the market, it's, um, I think it's a fair thing because if you consider um, if you consider like the cover to horror movies now versus yeah. what they were when they were on VHS and, you know you, it's they were a lot harder to know what it was about because we didn't have the internet and you, those covers had to tell a lot in a small yeah, less than a five space society today wants answers now yeah. and it's not always nice but it's true and with uh, Aeon it just looks fantastic it is a beautiful beautiful product just yeah blew me away but yeah the other book uh, that's of course coming up is Cults of the Blood Gods yay which uh, a lot of people are very excited about not yes. least me uh, it's a book that we worked on for the most well probably about five months of this year I think it took around that time and it's been going for approvals getting art in and part of the way the process has changed uh, since Cults of the Blood Gods started is for Modiphius have entered the partnership arrangement which um, as any kind of I guess bureaucratic process shows uh, that sometimes you need to go through a few projects before you've ironed out all the kinks right now Cults of the Blood Gods is waiting to be kick-started but all the manuscripts have been finished for quite some time uh, we have plenty of art in for it the Kickstarter page exists it just isn't up yeah. I ran ready um, but in terms of the content of the game I've uh, the list of things look massive yeah uh, <laughs> so one of my very favourite tabletop RPG books is Faiths and Avatars for 2nd edition AD&D 
Uh, it's pretty slim compared to today's books, but the text is tiny and it is absolutely crammed full of all the religions in the Forgotten Realms for greater, intermediate and lesser deities. And every one of those religions covers the deity's history, their relationship with other deities, their their churches, the, how they worship, their daily practices, their specialist classes, and so on and so on. And I love that kind of book, which is just rich with information. And I just felt like Vampire has never had a book of religions. It had State of Grace, which was basically around Golconda, and it had the Canite Heresy, which was national cults. Yeah. Uh, so I just thought Cults of the Blood Gods can really delve into the different ways kindred practice religion. Because if you've got immortality, you're no longer readily fearing death. A lot of you are going to reach towards some kind of spiritual, transcendental enlightenment. Um, what is my purpose? What can I really aspire to now? And in some, they, they receive satisfaction through service. Some, you know, they just need a pat on the head. Some need to lord it over other people. Uh, and in others, it gets very much more esoteric. Uh, obviously, the death of the clan, uh, Giovanni Cappadocian Beccata, has even had that eschatological bent yeah. where they wanted to destroy the world, which your mileage may vary on that, as a playable concept. And it's, um, I think for modern, for modern Vampire Masquerade, I don't think we've really had a book like this, because this leads back into the thing that V5 introduced, which I, which excited me when I saw it, and went, oh, I'm back into World of Darkness now, because I was like, ah, this is everything I love about the Lancaster Sanctum and that kind of church, you know, ecclesiastical horror about faith and religion, how that's utilised to manipulate mortals and how it all gets messed up when you start doing blood sacrifices. Um, yeah, I think it fills that, so... I'm very excited for this book. It's going to be very... And also, the cool thing is we get to see the other side of Oblivion, because we've seen Oblivion with the La Sombra, which is more... I would say... I was thinking it's like... The way the La Sombra kind of practice Oblivion feels like if they're... They're using the, the, the very power of it, whereas the Hecata is more about the fiddliness to make it yeah. animate the so, dead. So rituals in old, in old World of Darkness, both blood sorcery or thematogy yeah. and necromancy... <laughs> had rituals, and very few people use them in gameplay, honestly, outside of LARPs, to be yeah. honest. Uh, most people focused on the tiers of disciplines, and so Oblivion, we very much uh, have the powers that are very La Sombra focused. Technically, the Hecata could pick them up if they yeah. found someone to teach them, uh, so that's a story in itself. The Hecata still have, though, have Oblivion powers. But it's very unlikely that Sombra are going to take them because most of them are feeder powers to open up ceremonies. So you don't have rituals if you're a necromancer, you have ceremonies. And you cannot learn this ceremony unless you have already got this dot in this power. And they aren't as powerful, even if they're the same tier as the La Sombra's Arms of Araman or yeah. what have you. Uh, they are going to be things like lighting a beacon that draws ghosts to your location. Yeah. Can't do anything with it unless you've then got a ceremony that rips open the veil and pulls ghosts through. Um, so the idea is that the Hecata, as the clan of necromancers, the clan of death, they've got this very structured approach to the way they work their blood magic. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think that makes sense. I don't think blood magic should just be fireball. No. Or your blood boils. Ha ha ha. It should have a, an air of esoterica and and ritual. And I think it. I think the the good the thing that I've really enjoyed with how the ministry setites that got realigned with protean and serpentis. Yeah. Again, it was that serpentis was, was like serpentis was always protean with snakes. Yeah. 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 Except for the with a bit of, yeah with a bit of, with a bit of dominate in there. Yeah. <laughs> and and dominate. What was the other power that got realigned? Oh, and and uh, Quietus became yes. uh, oh. blood sorcery. Yeah, so I think it's. I know people have kind of like you know, so, some people don't like it, but I think it it helps re make you think about what the powers are really are. They're more have more of a theme rather than oh we have to make another unique discipline tree for this clan yeah. or this bloodline again I think... it's something Requiem did incredibly well especially with 2nd edition the disciplines in Requiem 2nd edition I worked on V5 obviously but Requiem 2nd edition is the best game for powers that just, even though they're tiered you will still find yourself using tier one, tier two. Yeah, yeah, Every yeah. single one of them is a unique little pack. Uh, went through so many versions of every single discipline. Yeah. So many. Like, the um, Protean was an especialist. Rose Bailey's books on, um, what is it, Bloody Dots? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's really good to read through on that. Mm. And I can see how that can inspire V5 if players want to create new amalgams for a, a unique bloodline in oh, BTM yeah. as well. I think there's a lot of good lessons in there to learn. Okay, what other things do you want to plug? You, you're working on other games, surely, that you might be allowed to say, or at least that have been released, that's come out? There must be some Probably something we could pay for. Yeah. So nothing. So here's a subject, um, and this isn't based uh, directly at Onyx Path at all, because um, I think, well, I hope I can speak for all of us when we say we all get paid by Onyx Path. Um, in terms of the market uh, or the industry, there are sometimes some bad players, and um, it always leaves you at a bit of an awkward state when it comes to new releases or upcoming releases, you don't know when it's coming out, when you're going to get paid for it, if you're going to get paid for it. Oh yeah, um, I've been on the receiving end of that. Yeah. I got paid for something a fortnight ago. Oh. It was very nice. I, good early Christmas present. I, I bought a new office chair. Yeah. I happily <laughs> got paid for my 40k writing by Cubicle 7, because that rule book is getting closer. Yeah, well, uh, Cubicle 7, uh, if you're listening to this Cubicle 7, you've always been a very good employer by me. You always pay promptly. Um, but, but no. Um, so other games. So here's one uh, that I don't think we've ever talked about on here. Uh, Solemn Vale, uh, which yes. is by yeah. Dirty Vortex. Yes. Uh, Mark Kelly's company. Uh, he's uh, well known as an artist for a lot of Onyx Path and White Wolf and make-believe games. Among many other companies, I have no doubt. Uh, Solemn Vale is a game of folk horror set somewhere in Devon. Uh, <laughs> in deepest, darkest deepest Devon. Darkest uh, and it's a game that is, um, I guess, Wicker Man, League of Gentlemen, The Field in England, The Killers. It's all got that kind of feel to it. But it's its own campaign setting. You have the village slash town of Solemn Vale. Uh, Every single individual in that town has a story, uh, has a weird aspect to them. 
Uh, and the scenarios are lovely little punchy episodes like you'd get out of some, I guess, portmanteau horror movie. You could explore one of these in about an hour and a half, two hours. Perfect convention play. The system, which Chris, I don't know why I'm pointing at him, I know this is a podcast, Chris <laughs> devised is just excellent. I've playtested it so much and it is really robust. Do you want to talk about the system? Um, a little bit. Um, it's gone through quite a few iterations because we had a few different ideas early on as to what we were going to do with it. Um, you know, there were the ideas to go for a diceless system, maybe folding card. Um, the final version I'm fairly happy with in terms of how it's come out uh, is, the, is the result of banging it around quite a lot to see what fits and what didn't. Um, because some of the early ideas we had, as it turned out, in practice didn't quite get the feel that we wanted. Yeah. Um, but it's designed to be fairly, minimalistic is the wrong word, but it's designed to mostly um, facilitate the gameplay theme rather than um, get you really into uh, elaborate mechanics. It's relatively straightforward as these things go. Um, and I'm hoping it will you know, work with the, with the um, little mini chronicles, the, the, the stories in it to really get moving at a nice speed and that everyone will enjoy it without getting hung up too much on their complex rule set that gets in the way of enjoying the, the feel of the world. Cool. Yeah, the, the general theme, I guess, of the system, without getting too granular, is you can, I guess, save yourself to ramp up the weirdness of the world around you. Uh, so, oh, okay. in exchange. So, it's a very board gamey in the sense that you are, it's almost Doom Trap like. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a, you have a, a, a weird pool, relatively weird, and as, you, as stuff happens, that is likely to go up, and you are likely to do things that cause it to go up, and that may have consequences. And the consequences aren't just necessarily in the case of, well, you know, um, everyone getting weird, but say specific antagonists you face or situations may have different effects based on where the weird pool is right. at. Okay. Or, or it may be that, um, you know, you're being chased by a hound of smoke across the moors. Who's it going to go for? And for instance, one thing might be who's been, as it were, drawing on the weird the most might be the one who's getting chased by the golden explosion. This sounds quite familiar because the 40k RPG has a ruin pool and obviously as the ruin pool goes up the chaos gods go oh hello yeah, I'm going to yeah, come yeah. get you yeah it's uh, it's interesting a few games obviously even with uh, story path ones with things like Momentum yeah. uh, you can tie that kind of thing to Fates uh, as well um, but yeah I think it's a really fun mechanic and it works across the various systems that it appears in and it's that's cool because like because the only other I'm trying to think of folk horror type RPGs out before, like we've got Liminal because I just interviewed Paul Michener about that one. Uh, Shivering Circle from Howard Ingham. Yeah. yeah. Um, he so, uh, wrote something for Solemn Vale. Excellent. Fiction for it. excellent. I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if he. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> he is the folk horror author. Oh, yes, of course. You know, what is it? Don't Look Back, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Of course, you can get that from all good retailers. <laughs> I have no doubt. Um, yeah, Wood has, uh, he kind of has folk horror locked out the way Eddie Webb has Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes and dogs. Yes. Uh, it is dogs. Sherlock, <laughs> if, if Sherlock Holmes yeah. game, you'd, you'd hire Eddie to do it. And then, oh, let's think, what else is there to say? I mean, if there isn't anything on releases or things working, what other kind of things, Dragon Meat wise, are you up to today? Are you running any demos or uh, games or. My things? meetings got cancelled, so I'm a man of leisure. Wow, okay. Uh, so that's nice. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to be here. Oh, well, that's here cool. So, so here's a story. So Clara's supposed to be here for a, well, in London for a launch party. I'm not going to name any names <laughs> for a um, work she was working on. And um, 
we don't know the solvency of the company that um, was supposed to be launching that work. And it was cancelled. The party was cancelled after she made her way. So no. she's come to Dragon Meet instead. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. well, you can just come berate everyone at the horror RPG panel. Yes, uh, that's why I'm here. That's why you're I here. I don't work here anymore, but you, you very, very kindly invited me to be on your set. Yeah, like, I just needed to get people that were likely to be free of meetings, but that's changed for you. That's you. Uh, yeah, we've got a nice diverse panel as well. We're 50-50 split in terms of Gender, so we're going to get hopefully a lot of views about how to do pacing of RPGs. And I believe uh, one it. of the writers of the brand new shiny alien RPG. Uh, uh, Dave, he's worked on. He helped. He did some contributions, especially to the one of the scenarios at least. And he's definitely working on some more stuff. So I've been chatting to him about that because that's obviously got some interesting mechanics with the 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 androids yeah. that turns on you and then ramps up the horror. Oh, I've got something. Um, and in fact, you can speak a little about this. I know you're always a bit worried about what you can say, Clara. Um, so, both Clara and I have been working on Cult Divinity Lost yes. uh, for the last year and a half on and off. Uh, I just turned in a fresh scenario. Uh, oh, cool. Fresh is probably the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> right. Scenario. Um for an upcoming book that I think will be on Kickstarter. But Clara, you work for a book that I developed. Do you want to talk at all about what's in that? Can I? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. Helmgast won't mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that why you're telling me to tell about it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's a uh, it's a cult of the lost book, and it's a uh, it's a book based in Detroit. Okay. Which is quite interesting. It's been a, it's been over a year since I last wrote anything. Uh, um, so my primary job was to write NPCs for this book, um, and it's it's interesting because cult has such a, a different take on horror than vampire does. Yeah. That was what I was used to. I was used to World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness. But cold is so in another direction, but still in a like a again, still in a very human based horror. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that was what I was trying to get across in that book. Um, I wrote characters and I wrote locations, right? Yeah, gods and religions as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, I, I it was a while ago. It was. But yeah, so. I guess that's the story of um, many an RPG. You work on them a long time and ago, forget. and then yeah, you you forget. But also companies reschedule. Yeah, uh, they'll think, okay, let's move this book back, or let's take this information from this book and put it in that book. So we know that there is a Cult Detroit book okay. in existence because I developed it. Whether it will remain in that state or whether it will be divided up into different books. Uh, but, um, yeah, Clara worked on it, uh, Hilary Sklar, who uh, has worked for me on a lot of um, books yeah. in the last couple of years, worked on it as well, Eddie Webb was on it too, and uh, Jacqueline Brick, it's a, I think it got, it should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway, Cults is a very miserable game, and um, I've been playing through the Atrocity exhibits. I've got second session in, and they're just about to go to Dejebra. Mm. And 
it's interesting because it's powered by the apocalypse and what's been fun as I say about hum the humanist element of it is my player group fortunately having been ushered through so many World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness scenarios no not everything has to be killed with knives and sticks and guns yeah. and so I, set, I moved across the exhibit to Manchester so it was easy to access but the bit where they deal with Vaquelin's uh, madness bit in Milan they're mm. like oh we can, you just need drugs and then something will repair player cups like I've got drugs and it's like because I'm a drug addict it's like excellent <laughs> but it's they at least it's been really interesting because I'm now in the process of trying to write an original scenario for it which sometimes is quite difficult when you I think Colt's quite a it's quite different to write for than Chronicles of Darkness scenarios. Like I find those come quite easily. Yeah, it's quite similar to Call of Cthulhu in a lot yeah. of ways. Because, I was but just about to say that. yeah, yeah. Um, what's real and what's not. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, but I think the advice to any aspiring cult GM is don't fall down the trap of every character's got to die or go mad. Yes. By the end. I think um, most people have had enough of that with Call of Cthulhu now. That most of the published scenarios don't just lead to those two absolute endings and um, I've seen some cult games go down the same route oh hi it's a horror game therefore you must all die there's always more interesting ways to finish a story than, and than the that. other thing that I'm pushing myself on writing this one because I'm going more for the you know being my own background I'm trying to go for mathematical horror which oh is, like pie sounds like yeah cool. yeah pie yeah so I'm going kind of that route but because I don't want to write something which is so obviously You've been Clive Barkered, you know, <laughs> to to take a, a, to, no, get, a to, to yeah, take a Rick and Morty quote. Past. I've been Jerry, Clive Barkered, yeah, yeah. Clive Barkered, but you know what I mean, like where every antagonist is yet another Cenobite. Yes. I, 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 it doesn't have to be that type of horror. No, no, it doesn't always have to be Cenobites, chains, and layman configuration boxes. Although. Um, or condoms, because apparently they use a lot of condoms to make um, for Frank's resurrection in um, to do the prosthetics in, in the original oh, what, crawling towards the, the, the flesh and skin all stretched is um, is no, perspex is, um, and condoms. Because <laughs> well, on uh, another plug, if you go on Shudder, another interesting online streaming service which has plenty of horror films, you can watch the uh, Hellraiser. Um, Documentary of that making. Oh, That's really okay. interesting. I'm sure it's better than any Hellraiser movie after two. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Hellraiser four, I isn't think, good. isn't good. The There's a concept space. in there with the mathematical horror kind well, of okay, so thing. Okay, so appeals to you. Probably. I like that bit, but that's <laughs> it. The rest of it's junk. Yeah. Yeah. But I, what I particularly like about Hellraiser and Hellraiser two. Well, Hellraiser two. A lot of people like it more, I think, because it's a more complete story. It's a bit more open-worldy. Um, but the first one is firmly set in London. This family has moved to London. Yeah. That the few is it meant to be London? Because it's a bit dubious on that. Well, it's come the second movie. It's yeah. There's cops in the house, and they're American cops, <laughs> and they are go um, going to an American asylum. The house itself. Moves and, and when Kirsty is walking along in the first film, is walking along the docks. That's clearly that's clearly bloody Liverpool. So it's like, where is this weird? I think they said London because Americans wouldn't know what Liverpool is. No, no. offense, American listeners. Well, much in the same way, Candyman originally is set in Liverpool. The, yeah. original, the original novel set in Liverpool, but 
but they transplanted to Chicago. Oh, okay. Because again, Americans don't know Liverpool. Well, they know the Beatles. Yeah. God love you, America. <laughs> yeah, we 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 love you, ish. <laughs> and oh god, I've gone off on a Hellraiser tangent there. So anyway, so there's a Detroit um, cult book somewhere. There's lots the... of cult material coming out in cool. some form or other. It's a configuration. Yes, yes. I do need I to, like I said, I need, do need to play through the, use the tarot deck in that particular scenario. Um, I did use the tarot cards as, as part of um, the atrocity exhibit, so there's a bit where they talk to, no, they meet Caravaggio and they go, oh, I'll paint you, and instead he just paints them, mm. the tarot card as a way of going, oh, this is weird. <laughs> what does this mean? Yeah. Um, I think that covers everything, unless anyone wants to plug in the uh, we're spinning wildly out of the Onyx Path. Yeah, go for it. I mean, uh, working on our very early stages of game, my own game called Necropolis Rising. Cool. Which is some of the cross between Exalted and Mummy. Uh, I think yeah, over two years, and then realised that actually has a lot of those similar themes to Mummy, um, <laughs> which is a sort of early 1900s set fantasy setting uh, where you are playing undead, raised by the great, the revolutionary great necromancer to fight against the uh, the oppression of empire. Ah. Playing uh, undead brought back for regrets they failed their people to have a second chance to save. Them. Will Tom Cruise be running around in this game? Hopefully not. Good. Running away? Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. There might be an illustration of someone who looks surprisingly like Tom Cruise running away. <laughs> well, uh, my game, the, the, game, the game that I've shaped has stopped developing uh, major and Papador <laughs> Don't have me, I'm still like for you. It's essentially. Um, um, the transunion singularity happened, um, like uh, uploading of minds into virtual worlds, so that people could live forever in the in the style of the wild dreams of Silicon Valley assholes. Took place, however, unfortunately, it went through a technology curve, like all new technologies do, and you and everyone you know chose Betamax. Oh no! So when everyone else, everybody else, everyone in the living world has ascended to a new plane of existence and left you stuck in second life forever. I love that. It's, it, it reminds me of, uh, and I maybe a listener will know the name of the story. I remember reading a sci-fi short story once. Um, where there's an ARC ship going into space to re to colonize a new planet, and um, during its dura- during its journey there, another ARC ship is built like uh, uh, eight hundred years later on Earth, and because it's benefiting from eight hundred plus years of technological advancement, it outpaces the yeah, original yeah. ARC ship. So by the time the ARC ship gets there. That they are antiquated. They were supposed to be at the forefront of technology, but in fact, they are like several leagues, thousands of years behind. So this thing is about you know I've been trying to get my head out of the horror space. So, yeah. You know, beyond the initial absurd oh shitness of the um, uh, of the thing, it's about like you know what what to do if you have an eternity inside like this kind of thing. Like what sort of communities do you build? With it? What do you do with yourself? Um, and also, uh, what's it, uh, uh, how to be an AMCAP revolutionary in a world where Silicon Valley capitalism is literally the laws of the universe. <laughs> so, 
another way, another analogy is everyone else got turned into Transformers and you got turned into Cybertruck. Yeah. Go Brilliant. Bots. Go Bots, go bots. yes. Yeah, you're the Go Bots. <laughs> um, I think, is that everything Phil's comfortable talking about? I know. Uh, you know yeah, I there's NDAs wait. everywhere. for bloody Britain. But oh. today I won't. Yeah. Well, well, one of your fans once said that I was um, that they um, one one of a darker days fan did actually comment to me on Discord recently that, that they they like my writing but I, my voice puts them to sleep. So <laughs> this one's oh, for you. Uh, <laughs> as I try to make this count, this minute counter go over the fifty minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> this is the shipping forecast. Yeah. sure. <laughs> and on that note then thank you for your time and again if everyone wants to get in contact you know social media just go to what at Onyx Path Publishing on Facebook or any of the other wonderful companies mentioned in all of this and you have personal stuff which they can mostly get to via that there's blogs there's the Onyx Path cast that talks about even more stuff in a more immediate form than our podcast uh, with advice on how to write stuff like for Storyteller Hobbs, which is always good. That's yeah. a good episode. Uh, oh, oh, and actually, as we're wrapping up, I'm going to do one big shout out to the Onyx Pathcast here. Yes. Because as well as my co hosts, uh, Eddie and Dixie, being fantastic uh, colleagues, we recently uploaded an episode where we went completely off tangent at the very start. We were supposed to talk about art in RPGs, and we instead started talking. Uh, Dixie just came up with a game called Envelopes in Urban Legends, where you basically have to form an urban legend out of scraps of information, give it to Dave, for instance, and then he gets these random pieces of information he's got to come up with an urban legend out of it. And for the duration of the rest of the podcast, we came up with six different game concepts, most of which seem vaguely deliverable within 60 minutes. And Excellent. I think it's probably the best episode we've ever done with no topic in mind. We just came up with things like uh, love in the time of androids. That's one of my favorites. Um, we've got uh, the calamari of crime. Guess who came up with that one? Well, Eddie, yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it was a great, great session. So do listen out for that one. Six games in 60 minutes. That sounds pretty epic. Well, on that note, we'll say goodbye. Then I will end this here.